The premiere of Better Call Saul is over, but we're just getting started here on Better Call Saul Live, the post-show recap. And now, here are the two guys who have always been left on. Never turn us off. I'm Rob Cespino, and here is my co-host, Antonio Mazzaro. Antonio, how are you? Happy premiere night. I'm very excited, Rob. I'm very excited. I have tape on my Switch, Rob, so it can never be shut off. I am on Never 24. be turned off. Yeah, You all cannot turn us off. Nope. We are here. We are sitting behind our Coco Bolo desks, ready to go talk about another season of Better Call Saul and a very fun premiere that we just finished watching about 20 minutes ago. Yeah, and I, you know, after the premiere, all I did is I went online and checked the price of value of all my baseball cards, uh, made some great trades. Rob, it's been like, it's been a great night. Well, looking forward to talking about a very interesting premiere and to see where we're going to go in season two. And of course, we are doing this live after the episode here tonight. We're not going to do it after the episode live each week. We'll do it on Monday nights and have it up for you guys for two Tuesday morning so we can sort of just like even more dig into these Easter eggs and all these things that we may not have at our fingertips live. But I think we got a good handle on everything tonight for the premiere. Yeah. And there were some good uh, some good callbacks to Breaking Bad. Some of the things that are a little tougher to pull sometimes. But I think some of these were pretty overt. So we'll have a lot of fun talking about that tonight for sure. Sure. So very much looking forward to this. Of course, you can catch every episode of our Better Call Saul podcast on our iTunes channel, either on post show recaps or on our Better Call Saul dedicated podcast feed, which you can subscribe to at postshowrecaps.com slash BCS iTunes or searching for postshow recaps in your podcatcher and searching for uh, Better Call Saul there too. So Antonio, very excited to uh, get into all of this. We did a preview podcast we talked the other day, but otherwise we haven't really talked uh, Better Call Saul in quite some time. I did catch a good chunk of the Better Call Saul marathon today. Nice. I noticed my DVR did as well, uh, which caused several problems for recording tonight's episode, but I was able to rectify it in time. What did you think on your rewatch, Rob? Were you happy? Uh, were you happier the second time around? We talked on our preview podcast about how I felt like the show played really well in a binge. Uh, were you enjoying the binging that you were doing today? Yeah, I think the show plays very well in a binge. And even tonight, it was sort of like, because the episode didn't end on like a major cliffhanger or anything like that. I was ready to go right into the next episode of the show. So I think it's a great show for binging. And also, I feel like that I did not have the same sort of expectations coming out of each episode on a rewatch that I did going into season one, where I felt like I wanted every single episode. The experience of Breaking Bad was such a cliffhanger, and you really were just hanging on from episode to episode, where a lot of Better Call Saul episodes end with sort of like, oh yeah, that was good. Yeah. But it's not like... <laughs> you know that's oh my god they just shot that guy. you know it's not the same thing what do you mean it didn't end on a cliffhanger what happened with the switch rob what did that switch turn on or off yeah, what did does it mean wash start? yeah what does it mean where does it where does it go what did that shut on or off i mean did the entire is there somebody being kept alive in the basement on a machine that now that they switched it it's gone i mean that's a cliffhanger to me rob i don't know maybe our definitions are a little different but you're right uh you're right these are more slow burns it is much more of a character even though breaking bad was a character show um, this is a this is a show that is much more of a kind of a a slow descent, and it makes sense because once you get to Slip and Jimmy becoming Saul Goodman, then we talked about this in our preview. You're running out a little bit uh, into the timeline of Breaking Bad. Who knows how long you can really keep that thing at bay? So I think they're right to play with this a little bit. In fact, 
the show even sort of pumped the brakes a little, even more uh, than what we saw last season with taking Jimmy and, and taking what we saw as a drive away uh, last season and maybe thinking that this was the birth of, of Saul Goodman and then having him basically we see the conversation that he had uh, and now he's taking the job. So we're almost hitting the reset button and slowing down this progress even more. Okay. So a lot of fun things to talk about. And of course uh, we've got the chat room that we are going to be checking in with as well. Also the hashtag PS recaps, which we are also going to be following as well and taking your questions as we go along here. But a very interesting episode. We're going to talk about our post script as well. We're going to go back to Gene at Cinnabon, talk about uh, slipping Jimmy taking on the other job uh, at the uh, at the uh, Davis and Maine law firm. But I kind of feel like the headline tonight is the advancement of the relationship between Jimmy and Kimmy. Yeah, you're right. The Jimmy Kimmy. Uh, are you shipping Jimmy Kimmy? Yeah, that's that's happening. That ship is sailing. And you're right. I think that that is the headline. I think that that's sort of the major kind of underpinning of why Jimmy is doing what he's doing. When In season one, it might have been that Jimmy was doing what he was doing because of Chuck. Uh, but in season two, it seems like he's making some decisions now because of Kim. And now that they are sort of a couple uh, and we're seeing it confirmed on screen, uh, that certainly seems to be driving the decisions that he's making. Uh, and it will, I think, put him in some positions, not to play a pun, uh, that are a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, he's in a new office for a job that he didn't want to take, uh, that he was ready to walk away from. Uh, and it seems mm-hmm. to be that he's really in that job because of her. So, uh, and not just because she lobbied for it, but because he thinks that she wants him to do it. So uh, how long can he can he sustain this? Is this we know he becomes Saul Goodman. So this relationship seems doomed from the start. Doesn't it feel like this is the direction that we're headed where it really turns out that because of this broken relationship, that's what ultimately pushes Jimmy over the edge where it's not so much the betrayal of his brother, but at some point it's going to be the dissolution of the relationship with Kim, which drives him to be full on Saul Goodman. It does right now. But I mean, at the end of the first season, I think we would have said the dissolution of his the relationship with his brother is what drove him there. So at least for now, that certainly seems to be the case. But who really knows uh, if the if this re- relationship dissolves, does he immediately become Saul Goodman? Uh, does he sort of you know, show she because Kim seemed to be into some of the aspects of the con they were playing. So does he bring that aspect into a relationship? And does that is that something he can't keep at bay? Uh, and then he becomes more like that. It's a good question, but it certainly seems like that's where we're heading. But who knows? Next season, it could be a different person, could be a different scenario. And we could ask ourselves this question every season, like what makes him become Saul Goodman? And we're maybe we're maybe not going to get that answer until they're ready to make him become Saul Goodman. Let's stick with Jimmy and Kim and talk about all this. I, I want to get into baseball cards and all this stuff, but let's yes. try to I, I, I'm very ADD about all of this stuff from this episode tonight. But the relationship with Kim, we end up with that. She's sort of like WTF. Why didn't you take the job? And we see from even before he turned down the job, he said to her, hey, does this have any sort of impact on us, whether or not I take the job? And she's like, no, it's different things. And so he's like, "Okay, well, then I don't want the job. But then at some point, it's sort of like he reconnects the dots after they have that sort of wild night. And we'll talk about all of that as well. But he feels like when she doesn't take his call and when she's like, yeah, well, we can't do that every night. It's almost like that's what puts him back. Am I oversimplifying it or did you have the same read on all that? 
I had the exact same read, uh, that he wants to, if it was up to him, he'd lounge around in the pool every single day and he'd run cons on marks all, all night long, but she's not, uh, you know, she's not his new con partner. She's not going to do that. She's sacrificed a lot. She brings up the bar exam and how hard he worked. Uh, maybe what, maybe he did what he did because of Chuck, but Kim certainly didn't do what she was doing because of Chuck. She has her own motivations. She has her own goals and thoughts and dreams. And if Jimmy wants to be in her world, he can't take those away from her. And I do think that you're right. When he's sitting in the pool at the end and he's making those phone calls to her, he's realizing, look, I'm kind of alone and wanting to lay in the pool all day and run cons on people. She wants to practice law. So if I want to be with her, I better get my act together. And that's what we see happen. Did you think it was a bad sign for the relationship? She wouldn't share the toothbrush with Jimmy. <laughs> I don't, what about you, Rob? I mean, tell me, you, you tell me, I mean, do you even, would you even, would your wife even share a toothbrush with you now? I don't know if she would. I'm not sure if I would. I think that we are probably, I don't know what that says about this relationship, that I think we probably mutually would not want to do that. What about you, Antonio? No, I th- some people are just really weird about teeth, Rob. I mean, I don't really care, but I, I just, uh, I mean, I'll put my mouth on just about anything. Please don't edit that out of the podcast Whoa. in one sentence. Whoa. But no, I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't really... Uh, I don't really think about that sort of thing, but some people are really are really creeped out by teeth related things. Some people are creeped out by feet related things, and some people get creeped out uh, for other reasons. So I don't think it's that bad of a sign. I think there are a lot of married couples who wouldn't share toothbrushes. I really do. So I don't know. She she was fine with the finger uh, her finger being used in his Whoa. mouth. So. Yeah, I mean, I, you tell me. I don't think she has a problem with Jimmy's mouth. I really don't. So what is the state of the relationship? I mean, that was one of the questions on the uh, Better Call Saul story sync of, was this just a hookup or is this something more? I mean, they did have that night of the uh, the night of a thousand tequila shots and everything seemed good. It seemed like that they were certainly like in a good place the next morning, but she has to go to work. Do you, are they an item? It's a good question. Did you do you feel like they were ever an item before? I mean, the, she didn't share a toothbrush with him, but he sh- they shared a cigarette. I mean, we remember some of the moments from season one where there was an intimacy between them that implied they were more than just people who knew each other. Now we know that they worked in the mailroom together. We know they did these things. That's fine. Uh, but did you feel like this was the first time this has ever happened? Because I, I certainly don't. Yeah, it seems like that. There's definitely a familiarity there. Was this the first time that they uh, went all the way? I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I really don't think so. I think that uh, I think that this is something that has happened before, uh, and this is not something. I just didn't get the sense between the two of them that this was kind of a the culmination of a lifelong kind of flirt mats. Uh, I think I feel like they've been kind of slipping in and out of this relationship for Slip a while. Jimmy. Slipping Jimmy, slipping Kimmy. So I really feel like that's, that's happened before. Uh, and so I don't really know that anything has changed. Um, I did note that when, when Jimmy kind of asked that question of Kim, like, does this affect us? Does this change anything? Or, you know, what, what if, if I'm going to take this job, what's going to be? She kind of paused and thought about the answer. She didn't say, we're never going to be anything. She didn't say like, oh, mm-hmm. we, you don't have a chance, buddy. She said those things are separate, which is a great answer if you're Jimmy and you want it to happen. Uh, but it, I don't think is an answer that either guarantees that it's happened before or precludes it from happening again. So I think that they're in this position where they don't really have a relationship, but I think one could develop. And I think if one's going to develop, it does require Jimmy to get his act together uh, and be there at Davis and Maine and actually working on this case. I think he realizes that. But do you think that Kim looks at Jimmy as a long term mate? Like, 
I know that he is, uh, he's not in the friend zone. He's gotten out of the friend zone, but is he sort of just a guy that's in the friends with benefits zone? Like, I don't know if she can look at him as somebody that she eventually wants to settle down with slipping Jimmy. I think you're right. And I think the more that she sees of the slip and Jimmy part, I think the less likely she's going to be to want to do that. Uh, it's not a, it's not something you want to hitch your wagon to. And I think that that's the, the sort of fundamental issue with the, with the Jimmy McGill character is, can he keep that at bay? And I think we saw in the answer the, in the first season, the answer is really kind of no. I mean, we see it at the end of this episode when presented with a, a sign. He's almost got oppositional defiant disorder. When the sign says, don't flip the switch off, he immediately goes over and flips it. And it really could have shut the whole building's power down. Who knows what it could have done? I mean, he went and did it anyway because he can't. He, he has to you know, fight against the things in the world that he's told he can't do. And I don't think he likes rules like that. And personally, I don't think that's something that in a relationship Kim would find it was worth investing uh, much more than beyond friends with benefits. So unless he really is able to change who he fundamentally is, I don't really see it going anywhere. And I don't see him being happy about that. I don't think he can have his cake and eat it too. Well, I would love to talk about the symbolism of the switch. Of course, the episode title for the season premiere was switch we had the naming convention in the first season where everything was ending with oh i think nine out of ten episodes ended with the letter o in season one but now we have uh the episode switch and it looks like that naming convention has sort of uh gone by the wayside here in season two but let's just talk about uh the switch and of course where he did switch what he was doing a couple times but then we have like the literal switch on the wall which says uh do not turn off like uh always i'm sorry always leave on do not turn off and he immediately takes the tape down and flips the switch what did that symbolize for jimmy i mean i like i said i really do think that in part it symbolizes the fact that he just can't follow the rules he just can't be told to do something and just do it for doing its sake. I think he's going to continue to do things the way he wants them. The cucumber water is not just for customer. Like he wants to do what he wants to do. And so he is going to drink it. He is going to flip the switch. Uh, he is going to strike out a little bit and get his own cocoa bolo desk. I think that at, at its, at his core, He's, he's, he knows Saul Goodman. He's somebody who the rules maybe don't always apply to and he doesn't want to be somebody that the rules apply to. And I don't know where this comes from. Like I said, is it oppositional defiant disorder? Is it some personality trait about Jimmy McGill? Uh, do you feel like we're, we're, I'm tracking that correctly, that this is the right kind of line here, that he's doing this in part because he just can't uh, not do it, that this is part of who he is to do things like flipping those yeah, switches. To me, it almost seems like that he is trying to be self-destructive in these situations where it's like there's part of him that's like, okay, I know I need to do this. Let me just go ahead and go legit or do the thing that I need to do to be successful. And then there's like another part of him, which is just the completely defiant and self-destructive and trying to undermine whatever good part of him is doing and I think that that's probably this duality which I think that at the heart of this series this is a show about identity and who is this person and I don't feel like it's a coincidence that the show is between who is this person is he Jimmy is he Saul Goodman he had uh, you know Victor with a K another alias tonight and then of course we go back to Gene once again 
again, Gene in Omaha. And I think that ultimately we have one man and he has taken on uh, identity after identity after identity. It's who is this person? Yeah. And if you'll, if you'll remember what Gene in Omaha does when he goes home, uh, is he puts, you know, he makes himself a drink and he watches old video, old, old commercials yes. of himself as Saul Goodman. So that's when he's felt most alive, when he's carving his initials into the wall in the garbage disposal room uh, or the dumpster room. He's carving SG. He's not carving anything. He's not, and that's not slipping Jimmy, G-I-M-M-Y. Uh, that's, you know, Saul Goodman. So. I think you're right. I think he's a man who is at war with himself in many ways. But I think the times he feels most alive is when he gives in uh, to the the sort of urges that he has uh, to to just strike out against right. what he's supposed to do and to maybe grift a little bit. And, you know, his friend Marco was very representative of that when Marco died in season one. Uh, it, 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 he's, he's, he's wearing the pinky ring of Marco at this point. And so he's carrying a little piece of that around as a talisman, if you will, uh, just like the top of that tequila bottle, a little something to remind him of who he, who feels like or who he truly is. And I think he's never going to be able to keep those things at bay. You say it's self-destructive. I think that it might be on some level. Uh, I think it also may just be kind of devil may care. Like I really don't care what happens to me. Um, not that I'm seeking to hurt myself, but that if I do hurt myself, so be it. I think that's part of it as yeah, well. The act of defiance, I think, is the same when Jimmy flips the switch in the office of what could happen. I think it's the same sort of thing that happens with the screw and SG was here. But the one thing that I thought was an interesting comparison, and this was something also that was uh, highlighted on the story sync, was the idea of so Jimmy McGill is going to say, all right, I'm going to flip this switch. I'm not going to listen to this warning. But we see Gene in Omaha sees the warning. If you open this door, the police will be called. And that slows him down. And so they sort of called it. I didn't agree with how they sort of presented it and like, oh, before and after in the past. It's like, well, that's the future. You know, they sort of like <laughs> were like saying like, oh, like uh, Jimmy didn't used to listen to warnings, but now now he doesn't care. And it's almost the opposite, I feel like, uh, in terms of that. So, you know, while he is defiant that I think there's also do you. Th- is part of him, is that part of him dying where, you know, slipping Jimmy is saying, okay, whatever, but is, you know, Gene just deathly afraid or does he no longer have that defiant streak? Yeah, I think it's the former. I think he's more afraid than he no longer has the defiant streak because I think that carving the initials into the wall and, and claiming to still be Saul Goodman shows you that he still has that inside him. Watching the videotapes shows you that that's still what he feels to be his peak as a person. But he's in a bad position right now. And keep in mind, that bad position isn't just with the police. Uh, there are many people tied to the drug trade uh, and perhaps other gangs that may have serious problems with Walter White and see Jimmy McGill, a.k.a. Saul Goodman, as their kind of remaining connection to their ability to cause harm to that empire. So that's a big part of it, too. Um, it wasn't just when he's in the, the the garbage room. There were a couple times in Breaking Bad where the heat was really on. Uh, and we talked about this last season. Uh, his expression was, I want to disappear like a fart in the wind. Like mm-hmm. that was he was ready to hit the bricks several times because above all else, he doesn't want to be in jail uh, and he doesn't want to be dead. Uh, that th- those are both of those are versions of being alive that he wants no part of because one is not being alive and the other is being jailed up and penned up. And he's very close to that in Omaha, but he's not quite there. And what I'm very curious about, of course, is 
whether the show is just going to give us one scene of Gene per season. Um, and is it going to take till like season 12 till we get a full episode of Gene and we make any progress there? Or are these Gene moments really just character moments? Do they ever become narrative or they just stay strictly with theme like we're talking about here? Yeah, I do wonder that if we see more and more of Gene as we go along or if it's always just the first shot of a season. Because how many seasons is the show going to go? Are we going to get an actual story there with Gene? Right. They might actually make a Cinnabon and sell one. Uh, and, you know, we're going to see him in a and maybe like season six, we're going to see him in like a personnel meeting. Like he's going to be giving somebody a, uh, you know, like, oh, well, you were pretty good uh, last month at, uh, at your sales. You pushed uh, six extra customer cards on people. That's very good. Keep up the good work. You know, are we going to see the mundane of Gene's life really play out that way? I, I don't think that's what anybody wants right now. The Gene scene are more thematic uh they're really just playing into what we know about the character uh and where he ends up but i think a lot of people want them to become narrative they want the story to be a huge part of what's going to happen with gene next and i think it's just very clear that gene is saul goodman he wants to think about saul goodman he wants to remember that he's saul goodman and he doesn't want anybody to take that away from him whether they kill him or put him in jail All right, let's talk about Daniel, who is the guy who was the pill trader uh, with Nacho. And he tells Mike off. And, you know, it's just like a horror movie. That's like you're screaming at the TV like, no, don't go in the house. Don't go in the house. No, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. Don't don't do it. Don't go to the meeting without Mike. And so, you know, he makes it out of that meeting alive, which I didn't think he was going to. uh, But Nacho ends up getting the address to Daniel's house and we have that scene where the house has been torn apart and Daniel is complaining to the police about his baseball cards. Now we see that the police ultimately think something is up and they end up looking underneath the floorboard. But from what I've been reading, at least in the first like 30 minutes or so after the episode, I feel like that scene is really open to a lot of interpretation. So let me start with this question. Was it actually baseball cards that were stolen from his house? Yeah, I think that this is a great debate. I do think that baseball cards were stolen. Uh, because I don't think he calls the police if just his drugs are missing. And I don't know. I mean, I think he's like, I've got a list, go to the pawn shops and find them. I really do think that his baseball cards were stolen because those have street value. Uh, and I, maybe I don't know why the, the TV or the, the computer weren't stolen. I can't explain that, but it seems obvious that the pills were also stolen, that the crawl space, the hidden space there was empty. Uh, I, I mean, you, you put, put yourself in, in his shoes and in, in his shoes. How can you, why would you call the police? Uh, and do this whole baseball card thing if what was really missing was pills. I mean, what is your end game there? What are you hoping to gain? That what? They find the person who robbed your house and they go to jail and you still don't get your pills back? I mean, I don't understand why he calls the cops unless his baseball cards were actually missing. Uh, to me, that that is a crime of kind of an in-your-face kind of move. Like, I'm going to take your drugs, but I'm also going to take this thing that it's very obvious from the decorations of your house to the way you have them on display that are your most prized possession. I'm going to take them from you because I can't take your Humvee, uh, but I can take your baseball cards. And so I don't know, maybe we're going to find out that Nacho just really likes Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle. Um, <laughs> right. But I, I really think that I think baseball cards were also stolen. Do you not think that? No, I agree because I think that he would not have the knowledge base of all the different baseball players and the sort of like, oh, this baseball card, if they leave my Mickey Mantle out, it's going to get creased and it's going to go from a 10 to a 9. He had a big sort of like 
like a baseball stadium scoreboard hanging up in his living room. So I definitely think that baseball cards were stolen. The thing to me, though, is what were other drugs stolen from him or was money stolen from him? And if so, he does not seem to be worried about that in any way, shape or form. Like, I kind of feel like that we wouldn't be seeing like if 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 a lot of money or drugs were stolen from him. I mean, you would think that those would be more valuable than, say, his baseball card collection. So I understand the sentimental attachment. Now, he is an IT person at the pharmaceutical company. Is he? I would imagine, unlike Walter White, I don't know if he's necessarily sitting on a stockpile of drugs it sounds like that he's like stealing it's almost like that he works in an office he's stealing the pens from the office and then selling them on the black market you don't know necessarily if he has a stockpile of like every box of bix that the company buys in his garage yeah i mean it's a good point we don't know about how many how much drugs he has he kind of indicates that i can always get more mm-hmm. uh, he doesn't seem to be selling he doesn't seem to be selling you know one big stash uh this is an ongoing thing so maybe his scheme in it is something like uh routing one shipment of something to a, a dummy address that he then picks up and nobody ever knows it's gone. I mean, when you wow, were Antonio, you really came up with that quick. Well, I've never, I mean, I've never done this with drugs <laughs> before, but I was just going to get into like, you can run any kind of scam when you're in it, right? You can set up a dummy account. There's been movies based on this. This is the office space, Superman three computer virus that rounds off the mm-hmm. pennies and diverts him. Lots of things you can do, Rob, when you work in it. And I, you know, didn't you work in it at one point? Rob? <laughs> yeah, but not for a pharmaceutical <laughs> yeah, you, company. What what is this podcast empire really built on, Rob? Where did this where did the spoils come from? Uh, yeah. Certainly not winning Survivor. Am baseball I right? Cards, baseball cards, baseball cards. So yeah, that's a, that's what we'll fall back on. Baseball cards. But seriously, when you're in IT, I think there's a lot you can do uh, to kind of monkey around with things and put yourself in a position where just enough so people don't notice. You can take a little bit, skim a little bit here and there, uh, and skim in such a way that you can benefit yourself over time. And I think that that may have been what it was. He, uh, My guess is that Nacho would have liked to have bought whatever he had, and he probably has continued to do that, and it's one of those things where I can get more over time. Um, there was an indication this episode, right, that there are three or four deals they had already done, at least mm-hmm. in addition to the one we saw last season. So this is an ongoing relationship. Um and not, you know, so I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that baseball cards were stolen. And I think that's more of a personal thing more than anything. So tell me, what do you think happened there with everything going on with, between uh, Nacho and Daniel? Did Nacho take money from him and or drugs? Yeah, I think he did. I think he took money, drugs and cards. The, you know, just the three things that the everyone three. wants. Always money, drug, money, drugs and baseball cards. So I do think that that's what happened. Uh, and Nacho said in season one, and he, he said to Mike, or, or, or it was Jimmy, I think, I love to rob criminals because they can't call. Them. Yes. Uh, and, they, you know, they can't get away with this. He, we saw him set up and try to rob the Kettleman's. This was a goal that he had. Uh, we saw him stake the place out. He wasn't that smart about it, but he did do it. So I do think he took drugs, money, and baseball cards from, maybe not drugs, but at least money and baseball cards. And if there were any drugs, he took them as well. So then what do you think ultimately have? So you think that there was money and drugs that were in that sort of crawl space and then... They are also they're also missing like the one thing that Daniel had said was he's like, oh, if I get you a list of the usual suspects, 
Do you think that he is going to provide a list? I'm not, I wasn't sure if he was talking about the list of only baseball cards or if he's going to say like, oh, I also think you should talk to this guy, Nacho. No, no, I think you're I, I think you're onto something, Rob, when you're saying that he didn't seem to be that concerned about the other things. And I think that I think that as far as that goes, I think that if you're a cop, you may be a little worried about that because, well, I, I we took some cash. Actually, a decent value was taken. And the cops are like, OK, like you, you're not super concerned about like losing money or anything else. It's just these baseball cards. Fine. But I do think that that's uh, that he wasn't going to tell him about Nacho. I'm not even sure that this guy's smart enough to put those two things together. Yeah. I really don't think that I think I don't think that a lot to be interpreted here uh, with with all this. But yeah. Big mistake by uh, firing Mike. Yeah, big, big, big mistake. And that's really more than anything what it comes down to. There was a lot of talk about whether this guy in season one was supposed to be an analog of Walter White, uh, whether or not you could see, you know, uh, the Walter White breaking bad kind of in this guy. And he had Mike had that conversation with him that we talked about where he said basically like you're a criminal now, uh, whether or not you're a good one or a bad one is up to you. But I mean, I will tell you the Mickey Mantle rookie card that he describes, Rob, uh, I was able to view one of those when I was a kid. I was obsessed with baseball cards. It's a big deal. That card, like I think as recently as a couple of months ago, sold for like a half million dollars. Wow. So when people when people are asking like, um, oh, why didn't he take the TV? Why didn't he? I mean, I don't think that whoever if, if Nacho did rob him, which I'm, I'm sure he did. I'm not sure Nacho's worried about not making this guy look like a criminal. I think Nacho's just taking the things that are worth a lot of money uh, in the Mickey Mantle rookie card. If it's worth a half a million dollars. I mean, probably the guy's got that insured. There's a lot going on there. So Nacho's right, I think, to make off with that sort of thing. Okay. It was a night where there was a lot of Breaking Bad connections as well. Antonio, could you set up the police officers that came to Daniel's house? Yeah. So those cops uh, who, by the way, seem to be pretty good at their jobs. Um, yeah, were they cops were. That, uh, <laughs> yeah, they were. We haven't talked about the biggest connection, which we will. But these police officers were police officers that were seen in Breaking Bad. Uh, one time when Skyler had called the police on Walt, uh, the cops did show up to the house. Uh, so these are the same people. It makes sense. We're in the same city. We're going to see a lot of the same people. But I think, Rob, a lot of people are going to be talking about another character uh, that is a, kind of had a famous couple of moments in Breaking Bad uh, that shows up more prominently on the episode here tonight. Yeah, talk to me about Ken the Stockbroker. Yeah, Ken wins. Ken the Stockbroker. Um, if you haven't rewatched Breaking Bad recently, this may not be prominent in your memory because it's very much from the beginning of Breaking Bad. But there's a guy who takes a parking space from Walt in the fourth episode, Cancer Man of Breaking Bad. And he's in a BMW and he's on his Bluetooth caking, doing whatever. He's so obsessed with himself. Uh, and his license plate says Ken wins. He's a jerk. And Rob, and, and he doesn't even know, Rob, he doesn't even notice Walter White. And that's mm-hmm. the kind of guy that Walter White was at the time. He had that wispy mustache and that horrible hair. And just, he wasn't the Heisenberg that we came to know and love. He was very much the early Walter White. And that's the kind of guy you walk all over. This guy takes the spot. Walter White kind of follows him to a gas station. Uh, the guy goes in the gas station. Walter White takes the little squeegee thing that you clean off your windshield with. And he sticks it in the battery terminal of his car, sets his car on fire, and is walking away as it explodes in a very memorable uh, early scene in Breaking Bad. So that's the same guy. It's 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 Kenny. Ken wins. Ken wins never. Well, Ken yeah. had a rough night. Uh, we saw they were in the bar and uh, Jimmy and Kim are talking and uh, Jimmy sees on the menu this uh, $50 a shot tequila, which is called the uh, Zafiro Anejo. 
Yes. Uh, what does that mean? Like something does that ring a bell to you, Antonio? Well, it does. Uh, it does. It, it's uh, you know, this is like uh, this is a Quentin Tarantino ty- kind of joke where there's red apple cigarettes, like <laughs> like this jewels is, uh, from tequila. the end of Pulp Fiction, wandering around aimlessly. Like ju- <laughs> yes, or Vincent Vega from the middle of Pulp Fiction, wandering around every GIF on the internet. Uh, yeah, this is something that we have seen before. This tequila is the tequila that Gus uses to kill the cartel in Breaking Bad. Uh, this is a notable tequila in the Breaking Bad universe. So it makes sense that this is kind of held out and comes back into the, the fold here in Better Call Saul uh, prior to that. So that's very good. Very clever callback to uh, bring back this tequila, the Zafiro Anejo, the $50 a shot tequila. And really that Jimmy goes through this whole big uh, scam just to get what, you know, $400 worth of free tequila? Yeah, well, I mean, he got something better out of it, I think, at the end of the I day, guess so. or the end of the I night, as so. it were. It was a long con. It was a long con that he ran to perfection, and it did work for him, so good for him. Uh, but yeah, I think that was, it was it meant to show, Kim, you know, this is what we could do. We could live like this, where we just grifted off of people uh, and and had fun kind of living in the moment, as it were. And it, and it worked. It certainly worked with Kim. Uh, he did seal the deal, uh, even though he couldn't get the toothbrush the next morning. Uh, it, it did work for him in that moment. And they got a lot of great free tequila out of it. So, you know, it really and, did. this is the thing about Jimmy. We talk about Switch and, and who's what. Uh, I think it's important to note that we don't see him running his scams uh, on people that are really people that were like, oh, that poor guy. Like, I can't believe Jimmy scammed him. They spent a lot of time before Jimmy runs the scam on this guy, setting up what a douche this guy was. And mm-hmm. so, I, you know, at his core, whether Jimmy's running scams or not, he seems to be running scams on bad people. And I think that that's kind of what is the key to this story. I, I will say the Kevin Costner thing maybe doesn't fit in that analysis, but the rest of it certainly does. He, you know, when he's rep- ripping these guys off and they're usually guys who are going to want to rob a body they find in the street or try to rip somebody off of a, of a rare coin at a bar or things like that. So um, I think that that's part of the, the Jimmy McGill. He's not, he's not doing what the nurse home was doing for example which is running a much bigger scam right. on much more vulnerable people he's running it on people like this guy at the bar like Ken. but wouldn't you say that most of the characters in this show are bad people scamming other bad people it's a good point because here you have a guy like hamlin right and hamlin throughout season one howard uh the you know this this skeezy slimy lawyer at hhm who was doing all of chuck's dirty work it turned out he seemed like a really bad guy but now it seems like he really does like Jimmy. He calls him Charlie Hustle. Uh, he really does want him to work at this other law firm and is putting him over to those guys. Like, you should hire this guy. You're going to love this guy. So it seems like even though Howard seemed like a bad guy who was ripping people off, uh, he seems like he might not be as bad of a guy as we once thought. And so, uh, you know, I think the show has kind of shifting perceptions of people. And I think that not every person is a bad person ripping good people off. The Kettleman certainly seemed like that in season one. They were ripping off taxpayers, ripping off the city. That's no bueno. But uh, but you're right. There are there's a lot of moral kind of ambiguity in this show for sure. But that said, the people who who Jimmy has kind of run cons on, uh, by and large, don't seem to be bad people. One of the really fun lines uh, from the episode with Ken talking when they're sort of pretending to be not knowing anything about the stock market. And he's talking about diversify and they're going to invest in these blue chip stocks. And Ken says, you know, sometimes things look like they're going to be great and they don't work out like the Titanic, uh, like the Andrea Doria uh, Corky Romano, <laughs> <laughs> the famous Corky Romano. 
Yeah, what a random reference that was. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's like what what Chris Kattan kind of is he in the in the mix here? Are we going to see a Chris Kattan pop up on this series? Yeah, uh, he's probably loving this. We get a Corky Romano shout out. Sure, sure. It's almost like somebody like lost a bet of like, can you fit a Corky Romano reference into an episode, into a script? Well, what's funny is we tracked this throughout season one on this podcast. Uh, each episode of Better Call Saul usually contains a film reference uh, from either, most of the time from Jimmy, but a lot of the times from other characters or we see them playing in the background. And here we have film reference in the form of Corky Romano. Now, we also had the Pulp Fiction reference, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But this is a show which absolutely has fun referencing films and i don't know if this is meant to situate us in the time to make that guy seem like a clueless douche uh it 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 serves many functions i think and accomplishes a lot by the corky romano reference very funny then we finally see jimmy going and accepting the job at the new place did you feel like at all like this was something that could potentially be a good landing spot for jimmy if he gives it a shot well i think we saw jimmy is actually a uh, not a bad lawyer at the end of the day that he did uncover this this sort of thing there was the kind of hero moment where he wrote the cease and desist or the complaint in the toilet uh, on toilet paper uh, and so he's not a horrible guy he has some really good ideas uh, he's pretty smart about this we know for example that the reason he's getting this job offer to begin with is he kind of made this case he worked the clients he talked to people he built the relationships from which these details emerged so I think that in, in terms of the nuts and bolts of being a lawyer, I think he's pretty good at them. We also know, by the way, that he's a pretty good talker. Uh, we saw that throughout season one. Of course, we saw it throughout Breaking Bad as well. So I think he has the skills he needs uh, to be good at this job. But it, I don't think it's going to be a good fit because I don't think he wants any part of actually doing it. And it's going to put him direct contact with Chuck. It's going to put him in a kind of a weird situation with Kim uh, where they're colleagues, but also friends with benefits and all these things. So I don't think it's going to work out perfectly for him. I, and in fact, I think it's probably not going to work out very well, uh, even though I think it could if he was able to put a lot of that other stuff aside. Why do you think the switch had the warning on it of must remain on at all times? What, what do you think that is? You think if they flip the switch, if you, if you flip it off, uh, what that does is in every conference room television, the movie Corky Romano immediately <laughs> comes on. And until the switch is switched off, Corky Romano will not go off. Yes, I think that's exactly what goes on. Is there like some sort of like neon sign on the roof, maybe that is uh, for the Davis and Maine law firm? It's possible uh, in Ham Lindigo purple or something. I don't know. Uh, it, it would be very funny if there was some kind of uh, connection there. I don't know. The, there's a movie, Intolerable Cruelty, a Coen Brothers movie about divorce lawyers. And one of the famous scenes in that movie is George Clooney playing a divorce lawyer is going kind of to the, the depths and the, the, the heart of the, the, the inner sanctum of the law firm where he meets the founder of the law firm and he's being like kept alive by machines. Uh, and he's this legend who looks like he's probably 200 years old. Uh, maybe there's something like that going on at this law firm and that person just passed away because jimmy switched the switch off no sign of chuck tonight was that a good thing or a bad thing for you I, I, I'm curious for you because I think that I, I think I, I, the Chuck stuff played a little bit better for me, not only the first time through, but on rewatch. But I'm curious for you, Rob. Are you, or do you feel like the show suffers from a Chuck problem even now that we know that Chuck is kind of the ultimate betrayer of Jimmy? Are you, are you sad? Are you hoping to get some Chuck, uh, in season two and, and seeing how that plays out? No, I am not missing Chuck, but I wouldn't say that we necessarily have a Chuck problem. I feel like that I'm sure when Chuck comes up, 
then at least he serves his purpose. And if he's sort of like a real foil now for Jimmy, then I think that's fine. Yeah, it's it's interesting because the show is doing some fun things. We saw Ed Begley uh, show up as kind of the uh, you know the the partner or the 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 person from the other law firm uh, that Jimmy is kind of meeting with Davis and Maine, and he may be Davis, he may be Maine, who knows? Ed Begley, of course, another famous comic actor like Michael McKean, who they're putting in in a role that maybe it's just going to be comic, but maybe it ends up being more serious. And I think that. We've talked about how that was sort of the the idea behind Breaking Bad with uh, with Brian Cranston. It's certainly Bob Odenkirk, right? Who is a who is a comic more than anything, but he's playing dramatic in this role. And I think Vince Gilligan knows that those actors are worth the mileage you can get out of them. So I think there is some potential here to see Chuck not just be I'm afraid of ma- electromagnetism, Chuck, or I'm keeping a secret from my brother, Chuck, but really turn into a bitter kind of angry Chuck. And I think the show can do that. I don't think it's a Chuck problem, and I think we will get some mileage out of that this season okay let's uh go through a couple of quick things how great was the license plate on daniel's hummer of playa yeah very funny uh very funny daniel had not only the license plate but also the matching shoes did you catch that yes yeah, and he had a watch that also matched in color uh, to that. So he's really played this out. A couple of people, uh, Chuck Bickle in the chat room had noted that he probably couldn't have gotten the cards uh, the cards insured without getting someone's attention. Jake Larson had tweeted that uh, maybe he transferred the money into baseball cards so he wasn't holding so much oh. cash. Uh, but then again, then again, he also is driving the Hummer, as Jake points out. So, you know, maybe this is, these are the trappings of this lifestyle that he's starting to live, starting to acquire these real really expensive things uh, with the money. Uh, and so maybe that's part of it as well. Um, and yeah, this is, this is a funny guy. He's a sad guy. It, it is great to see Mike just kind of put his foot down in that same kind of parking garage when a Hot Wheels painted Hummer rolls up with spinners. Uh, this is just ridiculous. This is a ridiculous car. I think Mike knows it's representative of a bigger problem with this guy. Uh, and Mike is ready to jump off. So good for Mike. Uh, and, and, you know, also good for Nacho immediately recognizing like this guy's a fool of his muscles mark. not here i'm gonna take advantage of him yep total mark why are we seeing this now like i thought we were gonna see all in this episode that nacho was basically gonna kill this guy so we end up seeing this guy getting robbed we see the police sort of investigating what's going on here i mean if we end up with daniel going to jail i don't know how that helps advance our story to any degree unless Saul Goodman or, or uh, J- Slippin' Jimmy is going to be representing him, but that doesn't seem like what Jimmy is going to be working on at his law firm. So how does any of this relate back to Jimmy? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's going to be kind of it, the most logical thing to me is that the call is not going to be to Jimmy. The call is going to be to Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's going to say, like, listen, I, I'm, I'm suspicious that this guy ripped me off. I'm afraid to tell the police. I don't know how much I can tell the police. I need your help here. And Mike's going to maybe reluctantly get involved in some way, shape, or form uh, and, and kind of be an intermediary there. And maybe through that action, uh, eventually Jimmy's going to come into play because the attorney that Mike knows who's, who's morally compromised is Jimmy. Uh, and he mm-hmm. called him last year to spill coffee on some people, but maybe he's going to start to call. We, we're kind of waiting, I think, for that involvement between Mike and Jimmy that pulls Jimmy into the underworld a little bit more. And I think that this could be the the kind of back door in that this case is going to ba- boomerang back to Mike. Um, that's going to boomerang back to Jimmy at some point via Mike. Uh, and then we're going to get Jimmy kind of pulled in this other direction away from the nursing home case, away from the Robin Hood action uh, and into a more criminal kind of enterprise with Mike. 
Bye. Let's take some of the questions that we have tonight from our live viewing audience. And uh, this is from uh, Matt Coleman, who says, uh, no Chuck check in week one. Remember, we did the Chuck check. Yeah, we did the Chuck check. Uh, no Chuck check. And so we're just going to have to figure out where Chuck is next week. We saw him in the, in the preview. So we're going to get Chuck at some point. Uh, our own Mike Bloom says, having your shoes match your car, great choice or greatest choice? <laughs> Rob, what kind of car do you drive? Well, you don't have to tell me, but uh, if you want to tell me, you certainly can. But I'm, I'm wondering, a, would matching shoes be a good idea? I don't know. What what shoes go with a uh, with a gray Honda Civic? Uh, New Balance. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> New Balance, for sure. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, or, you know, Crocs, maybe. Uh, also, Matt Coleman wants to know, uh, asking about the monetary value of those bobblehead dolls behind you, Antonio. Ah, uh, that doesn't matter. I uh, acquired those <laughs> at a previous job where I worked in an IT capacity. Those Nacho not, might uh, be coming to visit you next. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, he can come. He may have already been here before. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is okay. uh, this is true, though. There's, you know, there are things that you would do, you know, with your, your ill-gotten gains, and that's what I chose to do with mine. So let it be. Let it be, Matt Coleman. Come on. And uh, Jake Larson is of the opinion that the money has been transferred into baseball cards. It wasn't holding that much cash. Is that a good move? Do you recommend that to people to uh, take their money and uh, put it into baseball cards? Is that keeping it liquid? Yeah. Are you looking for are you looking for legal advice here, Rob? (laughs) (laughs) That's more financial Uh, advice, I think. Yeah, but it's, it's true. I think that you you want to diversify. Have you heard of diversifying? Diversifying? (laughs) No. What does that mean? You know, that old adage, don't put all your eggs in one basket, Rob, you know, just, it's just oh. like that. So you know, put some money in bobbleheads, put some money in baseball cards, put some money in New Balance, put some money in Gray Civics. You know, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, uh, that's it right. is funny, though. It, it is funny. I Brendan Fitzpatrick had tweeted at us and made a good observation. He said he loved the juxtaposition between the do not open door at the beginning and the light switch at the end. We talked about that a little bit. Uh, I, I'm not sure that, you know, we, we, we will find out more about Gene this season. Uh, but you know, I don't. I, I kind of agree with you that the story sync take on that doesn't seem to be right. That you know that we're seeing a, a Jimmy in the future there, a Saul Goodman, if you will, a Gene who doesn't want to get caught by the police and who doesn't want to be killed uh, by the people who might find him. And that's very different than somebody who just wants to flip a switch because he doesn't know why he's not supposed to. And so I, I do think that those things uh, can both exist. Uh, and so I think that that's I think that's part of it for sure. Okay. Antonio, any other thoughts on the premiere of Better Call Saul tonight? No, I mean, I, I felt good about it. I, there, there are very few shows, and you can you know, agree or disagree, but I think there are very few shows that can give us the extended sequences like we got in this episode tonight, where you're kind of on the edge of your seat to an extent, that you're like, well, what's going to happen next? Because characters can die in this universe. Things can happen. We know that the Breaking Bad kind of universe is a universe where there are bad people and bad people do bad things. We talked about how we thought that Nacho was going to kill at the at the drug deal. Uh, we talked about how you know we're not really sure where some of these things are going. But I really like the show. It, it, it sets its tone by cutting off the theme song right before it finishes. Uh, and a lot of these scenes, as you watch them live on TV, they feel like they're cutting out right before like a thing's going to happen. Like you see the cops looking in the floorboards, but we don't get anything after that. Do they take him into custody? I mean, where do we go next from that scene? And I think that, that this, this is a show that has no problem taking its time in that respect. And I think that that's a fine thing. Um, it is why we'll be recording these podcasts not live uh, after every late 10 p.m. showing because there aren't those big cliffhanger moments like you're talking about. Um, but I think that this show really kind of came back in season two and did what it was good at. 
in, mm-hmm. in building those kind of sequences, um, introducing these sorts of tension building kind of relationships, uh, and showing that those things can play out, uh, in a way that, uh, you know, is in the Breaking Bad universe, but also is tied into the kind of tone of this show. Uh, and I really am curious to see where this will go from here. We also have to keep in mind, that Nacho is a guy who has interacted directly with Jimmy McGill himself. Uh, and kind of the last words he said to him were like, you snitched on me, there will be consequences. Uh, when he thinks that Jimmy's the one who ultimately got him thrown in jail for stalking the Kettlemans. Mm. Uh, and so I think that, I think that, you know, Nacho could easily be on the lookout for Jimmy as well. Uh, and he's got his, you know, he knows kind of how to track him down. He knows his name. He's going to see him on the news maybe or see him somewhere. Uh, and maybe those two are going to come back together that way. So those two stories could in fact collide. I mean, I'm, I'm excited for season two is what I'm going a long way of saying, uh, that the show seems to be still doing what it does well. And I really am, uh, liking where we could go here. What about you? Were you satisfied with this premiere? No, I was very satisfied with the premiere. And again, I, I had different expectations in season one where I feel like, and I think that those expectations sort of the f- premiere of the show, the pilot, I think with, okay, where, you know, uh, here's Tuco and now we're going to have like Jimmy is like going to be held at gunpoint. I felt like, you know, the expectations coming in and then what were set by the first episode, I felt like that it was going to be tonally more similar to Breaking Bad. Uh, and it's fine that it's not. And I feel like in season two, I think I'm going to be much more going along and enjoying the ride here. And I'm very excited about it. I thought this was a very fun episode. This is a show that takes its time with its episodes and with telling its stories. And so I'm, I'm very eager to see uh, how this is all going to play out here in season two. Yeah, me too. And I think that, I think you're right. I think that, I mean, there were times this episode where I laughed. Uh, there were times where I thought it was pretty tense and I wasn't sure what was going to happen next. And I think that, you know, for a show like Breaking Bad, uh, or for Better Call Saul, I think that's what we're hoping for week to week. And so it delivered on those promises. I'm very excited to have it back and I'm really looking forward to next week and to talking about it throughout this season with you, Rob. Antonio, what's the hashtag? I was one, I was thinking about that while you were talking and I don't have a good, uh, I don't have a good answer on this. Uh, is it, uh, what is it like a gray civic or do you want, <laughs> what do you want to talk about here? <laughs> um, Did you have any other suggestions, Rob, that don't involve your personal life? Uh, how about welcome back, Saul? Welcome back, Saul. Sounds great. Let's do that. <laughs> so, all right. So we're going to talk about all this. Uh, actually, anything with uh, SG was here. SG was here. I was thinking like a gerund noun kind of combo, like welcoming Saul. You know, we have we have many options, but we can go with uh, welcome back. <laughs> yeah, okay. Saul. Well, I like that. Welcoming Saul. Let's stick with that. Welcoming Saul. Okay. Yeah. Welcoming Saul. All right, uh, Antonio, do you want to also set up uh, what else we're doing here on Post Show Recaps this week? Oh, my gosh. Well, this morning on Hulu, a new series premiered starring James Franco based on a Stephen King work. 11, uh, 2263 is the show. It's a Hulu original series. This week on most shows recapped, yourself, myself, Joshua Wiggler and Jessica Lees will all be talking about that show uh, on most shows recapped our show here on post show recaps. I know you and Josh also just talked about the uh, certainly eye opening eye catching premiere of yes. uh, second <laughs> season of the second half of this season of the walking dead. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so that was a uh, really fun, uh, or at least a really wild Walking Dead premiere. 
A lot of action going on there. Uh, you can check that out on postshowrecaps.com as well. A very fun recap with uh, Josh Wiggler of all that. And uh, so much more on Post Show Recaps. Make sure you don't miss any of it. You can subscribe to Post Show Recaps, postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes or search for Post Show Recaps. Or for our Better Call Saul feed, you can find that as well at postshowrecaps.com slash BCS iTunes. And we always appreciate it when you leave us feedback and star ratings because that helps more and more people find the show all right antonio anything else tonight no i'm just uh, i'm very happy uh for so we can be welcoming saul i'm very happy to have him back welcoming saul jaron now all right everybody have a great night and you can subscribe to our youtube channel and uh never miss a post show recap live show also at postshowrecaps.com slash youtube and looking forward to reading your comments on postshowrecaps.com have a good one take care everybody bye